So guys, I don't know if you'd ever channel surf, just kind of look around for stuff. I came across this documentary a while back about a young woman from the Midwest, uh, and she got displaced from her home by a natural disaster. And the documentary told about her journey of misadventures, discoveries, struggles, kind of bittersweet moments, and, and wonderful moments, tender moments, and also her ultimate triumph uh, over all the odds. So just, here's a, just a brief clip of the documentary. Magic must be very powerful, or she wouldn't want them so badly. You stay out of this, Glinda, or I'll fix you as well. <laughs> oh, rubbish. You have no power here. Be gone before somebody drops the house on you too. Very well. I'll bide my time. And as for you, my fine lady, it's true, I can't attend you here and now as I'd like. But just try to stay out of my way. Just try. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog too. So guys, we got the classic good versus evil film, The Wizard of Oz. And guys, did you, did you catch all the themes there introduced there uh, the, and all the symbolism? Did you catch the symbol? I showed this in one of our Digging Deeper sessions and I asked, okay, tell me about the symbols. And everybody looked at each other like, what, what symbols are you talking about? And I was like, wait a minute. Here's the thing, we are so used to seeing the symbolism that we don't even see it because it's part of our culture. We know this film, we've seen it before. And so the symbolism's all over the place. I mean, you got good versus evil. You've got the evil person and she's wearing bl black and she has a green face and she carries uh, this broomstick, which means something to us. And she's got the pointy hat and we all know that's evil and she's terrible and, and she's, uh, she's just wicked to the core. And then we've got, Dorothy, the innocent one with a gingham checked dress and the little uh, picnic basket and her little dog. She's kind of the picture of innocence and, and goodness and purity. And then we've got the force of, of goodness in, in Glinda and she's got the wand and she's got the sparkly clothing. And, and then we've got the yellow brick road. And as we go through this, they're heading to the land of Oz and this great and powerful Wizard of Oz. And along the way, Dorothy comes across some characters the, the scarecrow, the tin man, and the cowardly lion, and they represent what? In this journey, fighting off evil, trying to get to the good, trying to get to the place where you, you want to be, what? 
You need what? You need some knowledge, you wisdom, you need a brain, you need heart, you need love, and you need courage, you need a backbone. These are all just classic things that tell a good versus evil in heavy symbolism. And what's the point of it all? We're not in Kansas anymore, but guess what? All Dorothy wants to do is to get home. And the moral of the whole story is there's no place like home. Guys, this is a classic story of good versus evil. And today, we're going to come to a passage in the book of Revelation that I think retells the, the imagery of the scriptural story of the battle between good and evil and the triumph, ultimately, of the good and of God himself. Today, we come to a far more realistic and yet highly symbolic presentation of the truth about the world that you and I live in. Far more realistic than Kansas and Oz. It is life in the heavens and on the earth today. And what you're going to see today in this passage in Revelation chapter 12, you can turn there, uh, is, is a double emphasis of rugged realism on one hand and hope-filled enthusiasm on the other. Of ultimate triumph and yet extreme challenges and difficulties of satanic attack, and yet God's overwhelming love, care, power, and ultimate, his kingdom triumphs. So in this chapter, we're going to learn as we walk through life, this is about your life, this is about history, this is also about the future and what is to come. But it's, it's about our lives here on planet Earth and the glory that God has planned for us. And we learn here, it's not an either or either realism or optimism. It's a both and. The kingdom of God has already come, has already arrived in the person of Jesus, but the kingdom is not yet fully realized. It's not completely fulfilled in our lives. We're still waiting for the uh, outcome to be realized. And so if you were to sum it all up, what we're going to talk about today is that the followers of Jesus are called to be realistic optimists. Realistic optimists. All right? Now, we're going to come, I'm telling you guys, to a very strange uh, symbolic uh, imagery in Revelation chapter 12. And remember, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. So we're going to come across some stuff that we might not fully understand, but let me set the stage. Last weekend, Pastor Brandon uh, talked about uh, Revelation chapter 11, kind of the end of it after this incredible witness that God brings. And then there's this celebration in heaven. And it's, essentially, it's the hallelujah chorus. It, it, we, we read actually the words uh, that Handel eventually does in the hallelujah chorus. So it's this incredible celebration. It's the ultimate optimism. God's kingdom reigns. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ has come. And it's just incredible. And it gives us this amazing confidence and optimism. But then you pause for a moment, and let's imagine that you hear all this, that John is receiving from Jesus and then communicating to seven churches in the first century in Asia Minor, and they're this tiny minority of believers, and they're face, facing off uh, evil emperors, people that are persecuting a hostile culture, temptations left and right of immorality and false doctrine, all sorts of stuff. And they're like, wait a minute, the kingdom of Christ is here? If that's true, if God triumphs, 
then why are our lives so hard? Why is there so much injustice and suffering and evil and hardship? And those aren't questions just for the first century. They are questions for the 21st century. And you and I have those. And as you come through this message, my hope and my prayer is that you will come through this understanding the realistic world that we live in, but the optimism of a believer who knows God will triumph. You put both those together, you're a realistic optimist, and it's amazing. So we're going to come to extremely dramatic symbolism that represents a vivid and compelling blend of three things. Historical realities, things that have happened, Old Testament or in history. Secondly, future events, things that are yet to come. And most importantly, spiritual truths that we can apply to our lives. So to get us started, we're going to look at three scenes. Let's check out this first scene of this imagery that John receives, a vision from Jesus Christ, and he gives to us and to the churches of Revelation. Check it out. Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven crowns. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. She gave birth to a son, a male who was going to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God to be nourished there for 1,260 days. Wow, that is a powerful, powerful imagery, isn't it? Now remember, as we go through the the book of Revelation, our focus is not on how's this going to happen? When's this going to happen? It's not so much on the who's who, but on what's true. It's not giving us timelines to predict the future, but rather biblical principles to follow throughout our lives. It's not secret codes that we have to decipher, but timeless truths that we get to embrace. It's not the, the reason for these images and symbolism is not to create fear and anxiety in believers, but rather to instill courage and confidence. The book of Revelation is ultimately not a book, even though it has dramatic imagery and a lot of, uh, of God's wrath, and there's a lot of uh, incredible uh, things happening in, in these passages, um, but it's ultimately not a book of threats, but it's a book of blessings. In fact, remember what we read in chapter 1, verse 4, said, um, blessed are those who read this book, who hear this book, and who follow this book of prophecy. Blessed. Blessings. So I hope it's a blessing to you today. Uh, Not the when and how, but what do the truths convey? What promises do they hold? What warnings do they communicate? And why is this all important to me and to the church? How does God want to bless us through this? Well, we get this first imagery, and it's the woman and the child and the dragon. Look at verse 12. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman 
clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in labor and agony as she was about to give birth. So this imagery, who, who is this? What, what is this? Well, you know, it, it, it has a lot of things in historical realities, right? Future events, yeah, and, um, and mostly spiritual truths, all right? So in the Old Testament, this imagery is from the book of Genesis. It's Joseph whose father is, is pictured as this kind of uh, uh, incredible sun. The, his mother is the moon. The 12 stars, stars are, are uh, 11 stars are bowing down to Joseph, who's the 12th star. And it picks up on that kind of imagery. And it, it, it shows a woman here. The woman here is, represents uh, Israel, the promise of Israel that is to bring forth a Messiah. And then in the New Testament, of course, it's fulfilled in Jesus. And the woman is, of course, Mary right? And the, and the picture is also uh, a picture of, of, uh, of the people of God that, uh, that are to follow God. So, so is, it, is, it, is, it, is it Israel? Is, is the woman Israel? Is the woman Mary? Is the woman the fulfilled Israel in the church? What, what is it? Yes, the answer is to all those things. It's, it's all these spiritual truths in this powerful imagery. And she's about to give, she's pregnant and she's about to uh, give birth, all right? So, this is a tender moment. It's a magnificent picture in the skies, but it's a, it's a very tender moment. You have this powerful people of God, Israel, and, and, and fulfilled in Mary, who was a woman of Israel, and, and, and she's powerful. She's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head, the fulfillment of Israel being fulfilled here. But, but she's also very vulnerable. I mean, what's more vulnerable than a woman who is in labor and who's about to give birth. I mean, that's all she can focus on. It's an incredibly vulnerable moment. And into this very powerful moment of this woman who's about to give birth and vulnerable moment comes a very startling image. Then another sign appeared in heaven. There was a great fiery red dragon. I mean, what's scarier than this ginormous, great, humongous dragon monster in this imagery, again, not to be taken literally, they're images, just like we saw in, the, in our little documentary clip I showed earlier. They're images to con, con, uh, conjure up in our minds um, truths that we, sh we need to learn. So the great fiery red dragon, red, murderous, bloody, violent, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its head were seven crowns. So this dragon, hint, hint, not a good figure, not a good person. This is Satan, okay? Um, seven heads, ten horns. Heads represent authority kingdoms. Uh, the horns represent uh, power and authority. Horns, by the way, ten horns. Seven is the number of completement, completion, so it has seven heads. It's got a lot of, God of a lot of influence. Um, ten horns, got a lot of authority. The number ten in the book of Revelation is always and only connected to the enemies of Christ. That's just how God chose to reveal it. Ten always connected in the book of Revelation to the enemies of Christ. And so we get the ten horns, and on its head were seven crowns. It's this satanic figure, dragon, is pretending to be a king, and a big king with seven crowns, and different word that's used, a crown that's used for Jesus. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. Terrifying, powerful, has a lot of influence. It's all to uh, help us to imagine this extremely powerful uh, force.
And the drag stood in, dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth, it might devour her child. Guys, this is Revelation's version of Christmas. Merry Christmas. Oh, in the New Testament, in the Christmas story, it's told, you know, the tender scene of Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus and then the shepherds and the, and the, the, the wise men and they all come and it's just this homey, tender scene. And then this dragon appears that wants to destroy and devour the child. By the way, does that image appear in the original Christmas story in the gospel? In the Gospels of Matthew? Yeah. Herod, he's a satanic sort of guy. And guess what? He wants to destroy Jesus. He goes after him. He kills all the baby boys in Bethlehem trying to get him. He's trying to devour the child. You get it? So there's always, this is symbolic of historical realities that happen throughout the Old Testament. Satan's always after the people of Israel. Always after Jerusalem. And in the new, Satan's always after Jesus, trying to destroy him and left and right, and after his followers too. This is all to give us this understanding of this conflict that he, Satan wants to kill and to destroy the child. So, Merry Christmas Revelation style. Uh, it's because Christmas, the birth of this Savior, Jesus, incites not only amazement, promise, and worship, but also incites evil and hatred and an unholy thirst for revenge and power and glory on the part of Satan and all of his forces. This is New Testament. This is Old Testament. And this is today. Satan is still doing this. He's still going after to trying to destroy all things pertaining to Christ. So, to use uh, Star Wars imagery, yeah, we have on the one hand in this, these two images, the woman and the child, it's a new hope, but we also have the Empire Strikes Back. We've got, yeah, the Phantom Menace, but also the rise of Skywalker, the, the one who's going to save the day. We have them both there. So it's realistic optimism, right? She gave birth, verse 5, to a son, a male who is going to rule all nations with an iron rod. So, so far, we've had two signs, the sign of the dragon, the sign of the woman. And now we don't get a sign. Now we get an actual person. She gave birth to a son, a male. This is to make it unmistakable that it's referring to Jesus, who's going to rule all the nations with an iron rod. It's a quote from Psalm 2 about the enthronement of God, who is going to enthrone his Messiah and to rule all the nations. He's going to have an everlasting kingdom over all kingdoms, and he's going to do so with an iron rod. When we think iron rod, oftentimes we think of tyranny and like, you know, hard, hard use of power. Iron rod is, is about stability. It's not weakness. It, it, it's not flimsy. It's not wishy-washy. No, he's in control, but it's not tyranny. It's strength and power and firmness and truth. That's what it is. And so it says her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So here in this verse, we get the entire life of Jesus summarized in this, just this phrase. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. So he's born, you get the story of the Gospels, and then eventually he ascends into heaven, he's caught up to God and to the throne of God where he lives and reigns today. Revelation doesn't refer back to all the story of Jesus. It knows that you know that, and it's just setting the stage here. And then it says, the woman fled into the wilderness by the way, Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt, right? 
Moses and the people of God flee into the wilderness to be protected from Pharaoh and his armies. This theme happens over and over again in the New Testament and the Old. It says she's going to be nourished there for 1260 days, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years, which we've said all along is a symbolic representation of a relatively short period of time of intense, sometimes suffering, persecution, and hardship where the people of God are called to be faithful. And here's the promise here is that, yes, just as Mary was, just as Old Testament Israel was, just as in the last, last days, the people of God will be protected. And just as we are, God has his hand on his people and he's going to nurture us. He's going to nourish us in the hardships of life. He's going to take care of us, especially when it's hard. What are you going through? Now, these refer to some, I think, historical realities and future events for sure. But for the spiritual truth, it's that God takes care of his people. And there's a lot of symbolism here. We can't possibly cover it all today. But if you'd like to know more, please come on Monday uh, to the chapel at 6.30 p.m. for Digging Deeper. And we're going to talk about Revelation 8 through 12, including this, trumpets and temples and angels and dragons, and kind of sort it out and get more detail into this if you're interested. Please come uh, on Monday night, 6.30. Um, But here's the main thing. Uh, and the plain thing we need to know today, the first principle is this. Guys, we are involved in an epic battle between good and evil, but the outcome is already decided. Just think about this. We are involved in an epic battle. Now, the outcome is already decided. Jesus, through his cross, has conquered through his resurrection, has defeated sin and death and evil. But in the meantime, before his second coming, there's going to be a lot of battle that's raging. And guys, if you're like looking around and wondering, why is life hard sometimes? Why is suffering so hard? One of the reasons is because we're in an epic battle. We're in a spiritual war, guys. And yet, we have to be realistic about that. And yet, we all know that the outcome is secure. Jesus has won the victory. So that's just this principle of life. Why is life so hard if Jesus won the triumph? Because, yes, he has won the battle, but we aren't yet fully realizing it. It's not fully there yet. One uh, famous theologian kind of made this analogy. He said that the time period between the cross and resurrection of Jesus and the second coming of, uh, of, of Jesus which is the last days leading up to the last, last days, right? So that period of time, he says, it's kind of like in World War II, now about 80 years ago, World War II, the time between D-Day, when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy and Omaha Beach and all those, and were able to break through German defenses, get into France, and then they're on their way to Germany. When the Allied forces were successful, although it was incredibly costly in terms of of lives, there was a tremendous payment of price that happened on on D-Day. But when they were victorious, the Allied forces were victorious against the Nazis on D-Day, June 6, 1944, and the weeks that followed, you knew at that point, war's over. Though it's not yet completely wrapped up, but the outcome of the war is now determined. There's still some battles to be waged. There's still some conflict to endure. There's still a lot of suffering and hardship to come. 
But we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And we see now that the tide has turned, that evil has been defeated in the decisive battle of the war. Now later, a year or so later, comes uh, V-Day, which is Victory Day, right? It's when Germany surrenders in World War II and the Nazis surrender. And that's the glorious time when, it, when it's really over, right? In terms of the European theater of war in World War II. In the same way, the cross and resurrection of Jesus is the decisive D-Day. It's like the outcome was decided. He did everything that he needed to do to secure our salvation and the everlasting kingdom of God. Sin and evil were defeated then. Death was defeated then. It's over. Jesus said, it is finished. And yet we still await the ultimate fulfillment of everything that God has promised. And that's V-Day. That's the day when Jesus returns. It's his second coming. And we're living in this period between D-Day, cross and resurrection, and V-Day, the second coming of Jesus. And in the midst of those two, uh, two times, we're involved in an epic battle between good and evil, Satan and God's people, Satan and God. But the outcome, we praise God, has been decided already. So keep going here. Now we're going to turn to the second uh, scene of this very vivid imagery. Check it out. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought, but he could not prevail, and there was no place for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was thrown out, the ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come, because the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great fury, because he knows his time is short. Okay, now so the scene shifts from earth to the heavens, and this epic battle that's happening between Satan and Michael, the archangel of God and all of his angels against Satan and all of his angels, all right, the, the fallen angels. Now, when did this occur? You know, some people say this has occurred back in the, in, in, in the uh, pre-primordial past before everything happened. There was this epic conflict in, in heaven, and certainly that's true. And it actually probably refers to that. It may be a flashback here. But it certainly represents just a spiritual truth that there's, a, there's waging a war between the forces of, of darkness and the forces of God. War broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels also fought. So there's this clash of these titanic forces between good and evil. But it says in verse 8, praise God, Satan hit the dragon. He could not prevail. He could not win. He cannot win. And there was no place for them, Satan and all his demonic 
fallen angels in heaven any longer. They're cast down. If there may be some future fulfillment, this this even gets more dramatic. We'll we'll talk about that on Digging Deeper. So now it says, it uh, turns to verse 9. So the great dragon was thrown out. And I love this word in the original language, was bounced. It's like the bouncer comes and you're out of here. Michael is the ultimate bouncer. He bounces Satan. You don't have any place here. He throws him out into the streets. And then they get a description of who the great dragon, who this this sign is. There is a, a, a person that this symbol represents. And that is, and he gets all these terms. So you've got the dragon, the great dragon, the ancient serpent, which goes back to Genesis chapter 3, the serpent who deceived Eve and Adam fell. And, you know, there's the promise that God's going to one day crush the, uh, the head of the serpent through the, 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 the seed of the woman that someday will be born a Messiah. Yeah, Genesis 3, it's right there. And now we're seeing the fulfillment of that. The ancient serpent who's, who's also called the devil. The devil uh, means slanderer. He, he, he's the one that, that attacks. And then he's called Satan, which is our adversary. That's the, the meaning of that word, that adversary against us, our opponent. The one who deceives the whole world. He's leading everybody astray through his temptations and his lies. He was thrown to earth and his angels with him. You get a lot of words here to describe Satan. Dragon, great dragon, ancient serpent, devil, Satan, deceiver. I hope that um, that this little passage here brings a little bit of realism into your life. Um, yeah, we have great reason for optimism. I mean, Jesus wins. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's promised an eternal kingdom, and we could never be lost when we put our faith in Jesus. But at the same time, guys, we have a formidable foe who has millennia of practice of deceiving human beings, of causing all sorts of tumult and terror and difficulties in our lives. And so, guys, um, th- this book, uh, this little uh, section here tells us to take stock of the opponent that we have, that there is such a thing as spiritual warfare, that we do have a formidable adversary in Satan, that he is after us. He's after our souls. He's after our children. He wants to destroy the church. He wants to do everything he can. He's been thrown out of heaven, down to earth, and he's causing a whole lot of problems down here. That's part of the theological truth. This this Revelation 12 is the theological center. It's like saying, why are we undergoing so much hardship and difficulty? And it's because we have an adversary who is, you know, in one place, the New Testament calls him the God, small g, God of this world. The, the prince of darkness, right? Now, I've seen on Christians kind of a two extremes that we want to avoid when we talk about, um, we talk about uh, Satan and spiritual warfare. The one is the people that are just obsessed with this. And everything's satanic, and there's demons everywhere. I had one person come to me one time and say, uh, I had a sunburn, and they said, oh, be gone, demon of sunburn. And I'm like, what? This isn't about Satan. This is, I stayed out too long in the sun without sunscreen, and I have this Irish complexion. That's not Satan. That's just, you know, stupidity on my part. 
All right? So don't blame him for everything. There's an obsession with this. I, I can, every generation has this. Everything's this some uh, mark of, 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 of the beast or something. You know, I remember when checkout scanners came. And they, you know, they scan with the barcodes. And everybody, oh, this is for sure the end of the world and so forth. And it's like, you know what? No, we've had, they've been around for 30 or 40 years. And, you know, it, you know, okay, whatever. Can Satan use that? Satan can use just about anything. And with the way that the prices are at the grocery store, I think there's some stuff going on there. But nevertheless, I'm not obsessed with that. So here we stay anchored in the truth. Not your news feed. Not your favorite podcast, but the truth of the scriptures. Satan is real, but he's a defeated foe. His time is short. God is in control. Don't be obsessed with it. Don't go overboard with that. The other end of the spectrum, which I think is a little bit more maybe needed to be said today, is that some people are not obsessed. They're oblivious. There are believers in Jesus who never even think about the fact that there's a spiritual war and battle going on. They're completely unaware. They're just, have you ever seen a movie where they have the character and there's some, they're like they're walking through traffic and cars are just barely missing them and they're completely clueless? Like, or there's some epic battle that's going on and they're somehow walking unscathed through it and they're totally, totally unaware of what's going on? There's some believers in Christ like that. They're not, they don't realize there's a battle going on. And let me say this with all seriousness. Satan invades every arena of your life and mine and our culture and society. He'll, he'll be everywhere he can be. He, he'll be in economics. He'll be in politics. He'll be in industry and business and, and family and education. He wants to get his grimy, red, murderous fingers and forces into everything in your life and in mine. And don't be oblivious to that. Are you awake? Are you aware there is a spiritual battle going on? In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, we are not unaware of his schemes. Yes, Satan is real. He is a scheming, conniving, deceiving opponent and adversary. And we need to know this. So instead of being obsessed with Satan or completely oblivious to Satan, we have the, 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 the biblical stance, and that is to be observant. Wake up. Be watchful, be careful, be confident, but be watchful. We're not unaware of his schemes. You know, in uh, another World War II, George Patton, General George Patton uh, of, the US, of the Allied Forces, uh, took on Rommel, the German um, uh, General Rommel in North Africa. And he, he saw some success against him. And in one particular battle in the movie Patton, um, he cries out because he's having some success. Patton cries out over Rommel, and I'm going to clean up the language for church here. He says, you magnificent dog, I read your book. Because Rommel had written a book called Tank Attacks. It's about armored warfare. And he had put this all down you know, 10 years before the war. And so Patton had read the book of Rommel. He knew all of his maneuvers and strategies, and he said, you magnificent dog, I read your book. We know Satan's schemes. He's been doing it for millennia. We can read in the scripture about them. So we're observant, we're watchful, careful. And can I say with, with all um, candor to anybody here, um, just be careful, be watchful. Don't be afraid. Don't get 
you know, get crazy or weird. But if you don't think that Satan wants, does, if you don't think that Satan wants the destruction of your life, your soul, your family, your kids, this, you, you are just a fool. You're, you're putting your head in the sand. He is a real and he is a formidable foe. And I might say just a couple of pastoral thoughts here. First is don't, in, 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 in being involved in the spiritual battle that we're in, understand people have got different callings. Never mistake your personal passion for the calling of the whole church. God may call you to be involved in something that he's not calling the whole church to be involved in. So just, you know, do your best in that area, pursue that, but don't necessarily expect everybody to have the same passion that you have in the spiritual battle that you are trying to do. So that's important. The, side, the other side of that is there are people within the body of Christ here at Valley and in, in every church and around the globe who are doing their very best in their arena that God has called them to do too. Maybe it's education. Maybe it's uh, journalism. Maybe it's um, politics. Maybe it's, uh, it's something in the community. And they're doing their best to fight a good battle. Let's not judge them. Let's not, let's not look down on them. Let's not, let's not you know, let, let's let them do their best. And yeah, can we give input and so forth? Yeah, but let's not, let's not knock them down. Let's encourage them and support them, all right? Okay, here we go, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God Day and night has been thrown down. In other words, we win. Jesus wins. And he is thrown down and he has and will defeat Satan. He's the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Satan is a great accuser. He accuses me and you. You're a guilty sinner. You don't deserve God's love. You won't amount to anything. You can't raise your family. You can't understand the Bible. You can't share your faith. You can't be generous. You can't volunteer. You can't make a difference. You can't. You won't. You did wrong. Reminding you of all your failures in your face, constantly accusing us. He's been thrown down. Don't believe his accusations. He's been thrown down. He's been thrown out. He's been bounced. And Jesus is victorious over him. Salvation, power, kingdom, authority of Christ has now come in our present reality. So don't believe the accusations. You can share your faith. Don't believe that you can't. Don't believe the accusations that you must always live with the guilt of your sin. That's been paid for at the cross. Are you kidding me? Don't live with that. Don't believe the accusation and the lies. How do we overcome this? We're told in verse 11, they conquered him, the accuser, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. It is the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross that is our only plea. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. That's what we say in here, guys. And they conquered. It is only the cross of Christ that brings victory. And by the way, do you get the irony here? You got this big, great, big, fiery, scary red dragon. And how do they overcome? By the blood of the lamb. The little lamb. The baby sheep, the innocent one who lays down his life, this is where Christianity turns it all up, upside down. You don't overcome with 
violence and power and authority and all that. You've overcome through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the cross and through the resurrection. And they says they overcome by the word of their testimony. They stuck to their faith. They stuck to the story, to the gospel. They kept believing in Jesus and following Jesus. And that's what we're called to do in this passage. For they did not love their lives to the point of death. They said, you know, there's some things that are more important than my life. And that's Jesus. He's worth dying for. And some of them literally laid down their lives. Here today, here's what God says to me. Quentin, you are fully, freely, and forever forgiven. You don't need to live with those accusations. And neither do you. If you've trusted in Christ, have you come to that place where you fully embrace Jesus and say, I trust you by the blood of the Lamb. I'm clean. I'm not guilty. I'm forgiven. I'm rescued. I'm saved. I have eternity secure. He does it for you. Trust in him. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and all who dwell in them. It's a party in heaven today because Satan has been thrown down. Woe to the earth and to the sea because the devil has come down to you with great fury because he knows his time is short. Here's what I'm learning, guys. Your life might be difficult and probably will be difficult on earth because Satan's down here. His time is short. He knows he's about to expire and he's going to do all the evil he can until the very end. The Bible is trying to uncover it for us, to reveal it to us in the book of Revelation, this. If you want to know why there's so much difficulty in this world, pain, suffering, evil, hypocrisy, racism, violence, hardships, why is life so unfair? Because there's a spiritual battle. Because the devil has been thrown down. He's on earth and his time is short and running out. And he's doing everything he can to try to thwart the people of God and throw God's purposes in your life and mine and in the church. Here's the second principle, and it's a simple one. We've been saying it. We overcome a formidable and furious foe by unconventional means. We don't fight Satan using his tools. We fight them with ours. Two mistakes we make sometimes. We fight the wrong enemy. We fight with the wrong weapons. Here's how Paul puts it. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast power. Put on the full armor of God that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. And in every situation, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pray at all times. Here's the last scene for today. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle, so that she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness, where she was nourished for a time, times, and half a time. From his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. So the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep the commands of God 
and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. So remember, guys, this is historical realities, future events, spiritual truths. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who had been given birth to the male child. He went after her. Historical reality, future events, and spiritual truths. He just goes after Israel. He goes after his people. He goes after the church. He goes after you. The woman was given two wings of a great evil so she could fly from the serpent's presence to her place in the wilderness where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time. In those brief period of hardships, we hold on to him and we know God's going to take care of us. He took care of Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. He takes care of his people. He takes care of us in the future. From his mouth, the servant spewed water like a river flowing after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth helped the woman. It's like, nope. Not going to get away with it this time. Not today, Satan. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had spewed from his mouth. This very likely is, is talking about the protection that, that, that Jesus experienced throughout his life. And also the early church in the first century when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. The people of God left and uh, Jerusalem and, and, and uh, the followers of Jesus were kept safe. And this has happened throughout history and will occur in our lives. We have God's protection. And so, verse 17, the dragon was furious with the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. That's the whole people of God. That's all of us. Those who keep the commands of God and hold firmly to the testimony about Jesus. He's fighting against us, guys. And he says, he's coming against anybody who's trying to follow Jesus and hold firmly to him. Principle, last principle for today. We expect in this world both Satan's attack and God's help. He comes to the rescue. So the key, and this is for the whole book of Revelation, is to be fearless and faithful. Yes, guys, this passage is basically saying this, and you'll understand what I'm saying the way I'm saying this. Yes, we win in the end. Yes, we do. But this passage is telling us it's literally going to be one hellish journey at times. So we are realistic optimists. I come to you with this last picture. It's actually of, of D-Day, um, and it, it, it includes both present-day reality, people in Omaha Beach walking on the beach in the sunshine, enjoying a day at the beach, and then the reality of a war and a battle that was fought. And I love this picture because it combines both the optimism and the hope and the joy, but also the cost that Jesus paid for us and sometimes that we pay in this life. Realistic optimists. Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us these truths, these twin truths of to be fully aware of the spiritual battles we face and yet totally confident, fearless, and faithful in following Jesus. Help us to be, to be the most realistic that we can be, but also the most optimistic as anyone on earth. That's your people. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. Amen. God bless y'all.